Well, normally Alex is in this role, but today he uh, is on um, Jordan Heatherly's destination wedding in British Columbia, Canada. So uh, I have the opportunity to get to share with you, and I'm excited about that. We're launching a new series today, Broken World, Good God. We're going to be asking some hard questions in this four-week series. Questions like, where is God when awful things happen? God, why? And the question I'm going to tackle today is, does God have everything prearranged for us? I want to challenge you to be here every week in this series. I think it's so important. And the reason I think it's so important is that we need to get an accurate picture of God in order to have a healthy relationship with Him. If we get this wrong, it can destroy even our motivation to want to have a relationship with God. I want to challenge you to invite other people to be a part of this series, especially people who've been through a lot of pain, people who may struggle with blaming God. Really challenge you to think about who you can invite to this series. And even if you can't be here personally, maybe you, know, you can invite them to watch online or listen to the messages of this series uh, from our website. I really, I really think this could change the trajectory of their life if they can get a clear picture of who God is. Well, the plan is going to be today I'm going to talk about Noah. Next week, Alex is going to talk about Job. And the last two weeks is going to be in the Lament Psalms. The idea from this series comes from this book, A Very Good God in a Badly Broken World, by Dan Boone. And so I want to just credit him for that. He's my good friend and a great godly man. So today we're going to jump into Noah. Good catch, Jay. And uh, so it was a whisper spoken in the privacy of their own bedroom. There boy who had given them fits had grown up to be a young man. He had rebelled against them, disobeyed them, disrespected them, but they could not have imagined what he did, which was to walk into his place of employment and shoot to death 12 people and injure many others. So there they were in their bedroom. The lights had long been turned off and sleep was long past due. And he looked over to her and he said, I wish we'd never had him. I wish we'd never had him. Well, that's the issue that we deal with today in the story of Noah. We come face to face in this story with God's regret. So let's look at the text from Genesis 
chapter 6. We'll start with verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. So here we are, page five of a 1,000 page story called the Bible and the main character is having second thoughts. It goes from, and God saw that it was good, to God saw and regretted. The story of Noah is a story where God regrets and God acts on that regret and washes us all away. I mentioned that I would deal with this question Does God have everything pre-planned for us? And as it relates to this story, did God know in advance that the people would be so sinful, so evil? Did God know all along that he would destroy the earth with a flood? Does God prearrange all of this before we live it out? I know I've had some people in my office that seem to think so. People said things like, you know, I was close to God, but then when God took my three-year-old baby, my daughter, I vowed I didn't want anything to do with this God. Or, I just can't imagine how God allowed my uncle to sexually abuse me when I was so young and defenseless. Big questions. So let's dig into God's word and see if we can come up with some answers. As I read through Genesis chapter 6, it is apparent to me that God had not planned on the mess we made. That it wasn't pre-planned. And remember, go back to the beginning of the story, God created us with the freedom to choose. Remember the scene in the garden, Adam and Eve, and God said, you must not choose to eat of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God created us with free choice, and now here we are, just a few chapters later, and God did not, I believe, count on what happened. He surely didn't cause them to sin. Instead, he watches And weeps. He reacts to what he sees. Look again at verse 6. 
the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Do you see that picture? This is not some kind of mechanical God that has it all figured out and things just kind of go like dominoes. This is a God who sees what has happened and his heart is deeply troubled. He experiences disappointment and grief in what he sees. So friends, please don't blame God for the bad things that have happened in your life. Don't allow loss and pain and suffering to push you away from God. This is a God just like you who sees what happens and is troubled in his heart. Back to the story. So God uses his power to choose and he chooses to wipe us out. They had pushed God too far. And then Noah is introduced to our story. Let's look at what the word says. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So on the heels of God's decision to destroy everyone and everything, we see this, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was married. Noah was a father of three sons, each who had wives. Noah walked with God. Noah was blameless. That's about all we have on Noah. Noah never speaks. Not sure exactly why God chose Noah other than what we read. But God explains to Noah what's going to happen. That he's going to destroy the earth. And he gives Noah careful instructions about building the ark. And Noah listens carefully, takes good notes... And as we see in verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded. So he builds the ark, which is an amazing thing to think about. And then he and his family gather pairs of every species to put on the ark. I don't know how you visualize that, but that seems kind of comical to me. But Genesis 7, 5 says they got it done and so they got in the ark and then the rains came. Torrential rains. It's been a rainy week in Cincinnati. But just imagine the hardest rain you have ever seen and think about that continuing for 40 days and 40 nights. 
The text says waters covered the earth. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Wow, it hurts to read that. So Noah waits. After 40 days, it stopped raining. But there was no dry ground. So Noah waited and waited and waited. 150 days. 150 days is a long time. After the 40 days of rain. You ever wonder what Noah thought about during that time? He must have felt very vulnerable, very forgotten. I can imagine that he's thinking, are we going to have enough food to survive? How long? And I wouldn't be surprised if Noah asked this question, God, have you forgotten us? If that is the case, it wouldn't be the only time in Scripture that that question was asked. We see it lots of times through the story of God. The Israelites in Egyptian bondage, barren Hannah wanting a baby, blind Samson post-haircut as he was tied to a pole as a laughingstock, Job on the ash heap, and now and Jesus on the cross. They all asked the question, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten us? God, why have you forsaken me? I wouldn't be surprised if it's a question that you've asked. Don't raise your hands. But I wouldn't be surprised. Well, we see the answer in chapter 8. Verse 1, but, Noah, but God remembered Noah. Finally, after 40 days of rain and 150 days of waiting, God speaks to Noah. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on, on it. So finally, they can exit the ark. And I want to point out to you that the very first thing that Noah did when they deboard the ark was to worship God. The text says that Noah built an altar and sacrificed an animal in worship to God. What I'm going to say right now I think is so important for this story. And I know Noah doesn't have any lines in the story. And I know that most of what we talk about is God and God's activity. Yes, God created Noah and all of us. Yes, 
God decided to wipe them out. Yes, God explained to Noah how to escape the the destruction. Yes, God brought the rain. Yes, God stopped the rain. But please, don't minimize Noah's part in this story. We have an important part to play in this relationship. Noah listened to God. Noah obeyed everything God commanded him. And now, the first thing he does when he gets off the boat is to worship God for saving him. Salvation, like a knee tapped with a reflex hammer, initiates a response. That response is called the sanctified life. It's a life saved by God, a life hallowed by God, a life lived toward God. Our business becomes the business of God. God, once we disembark from the ark, we have no other reason for living. God calls us to love each other, to care for the earth, to be peacemakers, to heal brokenness. Yes, we were born with the freedom to choose, and yes, we can choose to live for ourselves, but we want to live this way, right? When we've been saved, we want to live this way. Once you've experienced God's salvation, once you walk in his love, once God calls you to a life of significance for him, you are motivated to live this way, right? So we have an important role to play in this relationship. Let's look at how God responds to Noah. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of their human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You notice the never again phrase? If you keep reading, and we're going to read a little bit more, you see this over and over and over again. Five times you hear this. Let's read part of this. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. 
when the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So you see it, never again, never again. God says, it's not happening. You noticed, God changes. You see that, right? Here's a God, first, that saw evil and said, enough, and wiped us all out. This was about swift retribution, like a judge in a courtroom, like a parent with a paddle. You get what's coming to you. And now God says, I'm not going to operate that, more any, that way anymore. Instead, I'm going to allow evil. And I'm going to seek to redeem the world through suffering love. So God changes. Now when I say that, how does that hit you? I don't know about you, but I've grown up all my life hearing things like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if everything else changes in your life, you can count on this. God will never change. God changes. So much for that yesterday, today, and forever thing. But you know what? The more I think about it, the more I am grateful that God has changed. Because I know I wouldn't make it with this swift retribution, God, because I know what I've done. And I know I would deserve punishment. So I'm very grateful that God changes, that God chooses to allow evil, but then comes into our world to act in saving ways. You know, there's a word for that. To describe the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. You saw it in the text a couple of times. What's the word? What's, what's the word? I heard it. Covenant. You saw that, right? Covenant. A covenant is a promise. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. A covenant is a deal. We often think about covenant in the context of marriage. It's been a busy weekend for me. I did a memorial service on Friday morning and then a wedding Friday night and then another wedding last night. So I had two weddings this weekend. 
and as those couples stood before me and made vows to God, they entered into the covenant of marriage. In fact, one of those couples is here. Marcus and Michael Province stand. Let us congratulate you for being newlyweds. Yeah. That's awesome. So, God says to Noah, I'm making a covenant with you, a promise. I will never again destroy the earth like I did. And the sign of the covenant will be a rainbow. Did you notice the purpose of the rainbow? It's not for us. Remember, God said, I will see the rainbow. And I will remember the covenant that I have made. So anytime you see a beautiful rainbow like this, know that God is reminding himself of the promise that he makes to Noah. God makes other covenants as you read through the story of God. God makes a covenant with Abraham, with Moses, with David. But all of those covenants point toward a new covenant. In fact, the whole Old Testament points toward a new covenant that God makes with us in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm sure most of you know the setting. It was Thursday night in an upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples were experiencing the Passover feast. The annual Jewish celebration where they celebrated that the death angel passed over the homes where the blood of a sacrificial lamb, lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts. How fitting that Jesus, in that moment, says, I am making a new covenant with you. No longer will the blood of animals be needed to provide for forgiveness of sin. Soon I will be the once and for all sacrifice, the Lamb. My blood shed on a cross, my body broken, will provide forgiveness, payment for your debt of sin. Big difference between this swift retribution God that said, I see evil and I will punish it. To now, God reveals himself in a baby born in a manger. And this baby lived his life in humble obedience to his father. And now this baby, Jesus, says... I'm offering my very life's blood because I love you. Isn't that awesome?
Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus. I want to make one clarification here so there's no misunderstanding. I talked about how God is no longer this swift retribution God, but don't hear me saying that there won't be a judgment. The Bible makes it clear there will be a judgment. There will be a time when all accounts will be settled. Judgment is delayed, but it will happen. So are we clear on that? But the awesome thing is that when that day of judgment comes, and we stand before a righteous God, we can do so with humble confidence because of the blood of Jesus and our response to it. Thank you, Jesus. Many of you know Jessica Fresquez. Jessica, wave your hand so we can see who you are. She's right there in the third row. Uh, you may have seen a, a video about Jessica's story. I think it was a little more than a year ago that we did that. Jessica had a rough young adulthood. She was uh, enslaved with drug addiction. But then something awful happened that really sent Jessica into a tailspin. On October 18, 2009, uh, Jessica had a seven-week-old boy who died in a freak accident. When Jessica was telling me about this story, she said, you know, I really didn't know much about God when this happened. My grandma was a Christian. I may have visited her church a few times, but I just had in my mind that when this tragedy happened, that God somehow must be behind it, that God could have or God should have saved my baby's life. And so immediately, I had such anger towards God, such resentment in my life towards God. She told me that her grandma had invited the pastor of her church to come to her house shortly after this happened. And Jessica said, when that pastor walked into my house, I hated him. And I said, how dare you pray to a God that did this to my baby? Not surprisingly, Jessica just pushed away from God. She wanted nothing to do with this God. And she went into what she knew what she had experienced, the, the escape of drug addiction, and it was a very, very dark season in her life. Well, um, quite a few years later, 
she was invited to attend here by a couple of different people, and she didn't have a whole lot to lose, so she thought she would try it. So she came, and she filled out one of those Connect cards that Adam forgot to tell you to fill out today. (laughs) If you're a guest here today, please fill out one of those Connect cards. I will get it, and I would love to be in touch with you this week. There you go, Adam. Jessica filled out one of those, and I responded, and she came to my next step class, which many of you know about. And some of this story came out, and I realized, oh my goodness, I'm going to need to spend some time with her. So I asked if we could meet one-on-one, and boy, when, when we met one-on-one, oh, she just spewed out questions, just grilled me. How could God allow my baby to die? And I said, Jessica, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. But I told her what I'm telling you today. I said, Jessica, I don't believe for one minute that God is a killer of babies. I don't believe that God is to blame for that. I believe God wants to come to you. He loves you. He he knows what pain and loss and rejection feels like. He wants to minister to you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to free you from those things that have enslaved you. And Jessica began to get a little different picture about God. So she hung around and I and others explained more about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made that could forgive her. And Jessica made that decision to make Jesus her forgiver and the leader of her life. And God is transforming Jessica. That's one of the greatest joys of my life is to see people in the hands of God and to watch God just blossom their lives. And now Jessica is leading other women. She leads the Celebrate Recovery group for women. The reason I tell you that whole Jessica story is this. Can you understand why the misinformed thoughts that Jessica had did so much damage in her story? That's why I'm so motivated to say we need to get the picture right because I believe if people really understand God for who he is, they will be drawn to him and his love for them. And that's our job, friends. So as we wrap up, the band is going to come and going to sing a great song, but I just want to give us a chance to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And that's the awesome thing, is the Holy Spirit can take what I'm saying and just make it personal to you right where you are. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is kind of challenging your picture 
of God. Maybe you're one of those people that have kind of blamed God or struggled with this issue of how God allows such chaos in the world. Maybe today you can walk out of here with a little different picture of God that's helpful and that's true to his word. Maybe God is putting somebody in your mind that you could invite to be a part of this series. Maybe you could have a conversation with them or maybe invite them to listen to this message. Maybe there's somebody here that is at the point where you're ready to cross that line of faith and make Jesus your forgiver and the leader of your life just like Jessica did. If that's you, I want to tell you, please make that decision today. It's the best decision you'll make in your life. I know there are lots of us that just today want to respond by worshiping this God that loves us so recklessly and just offer ourselves to be obedient to the call that God has placed on each of our lives. So however God, the Holy Spirit, is asking you to respond, please respond. I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing this awesome song about God's reckless love. Jesus, thank you for for your presence here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us about you and who you are and how incredible your love is for us. Speak to us in this moment. Help us to respond to you. Help us to move toward you. God, use us to help others see you for who you really are. We love you. We praise you today.